This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Uh, the first reading is Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph, which can be found on page 472 of your pew Bibles. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. For the second reading, we have one of the Bible's most famous passages, which is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Please take a moment to find it on page 844 of the Pew Bible. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved to pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to them, go and do likewise. Hear the word of the Lord. It'd be great to keep that open in front of you and to pray with me as we uh, seek to understand this extraordinary piece, this extraordinary story. Uh, give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. 
Amen. Well, it is great to have somewhere to belong, isn't it? But in our increasingly troubled and divided world, we are more and more concerned about where it is that we do belong. If our world is divided into us and them, then, then who is us? And what makes us us? What makes us us? And what is the sign of belonging to us that they out there don't possess? And while sometimes we may enjoy the difference and diversity of people in our world, as a tourist or as a, uh, as a person who likes to go to different restaurants, it's another thing to live with that in your backyard. I've heard complaints around the eastern suburbs about the Chinese buying up our property, or the Muslims dressing their women differently, or the gays being too flamboyant, or the snobs, or the cashed-up bogans. I've heard complaints about young people making too much noise, about homeless people making too much mess, and old people driving too slowly and telling the same stories over and over and over. Meeting those who are different tends to bring out our deepest fears, no matter how enlightened we are. And perhaps that's why we like, we like to find comfortable and space, safe spaces that feel like home. It's only natural, isn't it? But what about the followers of Jesus? Is following Jesus like belonging to a club or like having an ethnicity? And what does that mean? What does it mean to belong to the group of his disciples? We've already seen in looking through Luke's gospel over the last few weeks that this is a group that is interested in inviting others to join it. It's a group with a mission of reaching out. But this group will face opposition and even rejection. In fact, there was a Samaritan town that outright refused to let Jesus and his followers in back in chapter 9. So they could be excused for thinking of themselves as an embattled and frightened group that needed to circle the wagons, to close ranks. But that's where Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan lands like a bomb on a peaceful landscape and blows a massive crater in it. It gets us right in this very sensitive spot and exposes our insecurities about us's and them's. And look, I think I need to say before I go on, that we've become so comfortably familiar with this story, it's sort of ironic, this story has become kind of comfortable to us, that we miss how packed with TNT it is. We sort of, you know, I imagine if you heard that I was preaching on the Good Samaritan this week, you go, oh, fantastic, I really can agree with that, that's one of my, my favourites, it's so reassuring, isn't it? What a wonderful, comfortable par parable, where Jesus tells us all to be really nice and moral. We think that this is Jesus telling us to love more, to give now and then to charity. And isn't that lovely? Please pass the iced vovos. But if you and I don't walk away today squirming, then I haven't really done my job. You don't come to Jesus to get a pat on the head. You certainly don't get one here. And actually, there's something of that dynamic in the interaction with the lawyer who approaches Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because the lawyer doesn't really, it's not really a desperate question. He's looking for confirmation and he's looking to suss out Jesus. It's a theological exercise, a test to see if Jesus is on the same page as he is. 
But the question that the lawyer comes to Jesus with, what is it? It's a pretty potent one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we can hear that question in purely legal terms. It does come from a lawyer, after all. What requirements do I have to meet before I qualify for heaven? As if heaven has some kind of ATAR, right? There's a score you have to get. What is it that I have to get to get into a Bachelor of Arts? That was my degree, and the answer is not much. (laughs) What kind of score do I need to get into heaven? Is it more like medicine, or is it more like an arts degree? How many good deeds must I do? What's the basic requirement here? And if we thought that that was what the question means, we'd see the story of the Good Samaritan as a moral story about helping people out and being altogether a nice person, the way it's so often been read. But the lawyer's question isn't about attaining a standard of good behaviour. It's a question about belonging. To inherit eternal life is actually a question of belonging to God's kingdom. How do I know that I belong to God's people? It's more a question of the tribe. Am I a member? And what qualifies me to be a member? What do I have to do to be a member? But Jesus won't be trapped and he asks his questioner some questions, very typical of Jesus. He says, how would you answer your own question? And the lawyer rightly and unexpectedly goes straight to the law. And he says, well, the Bible says love Love in two ways. And this was actually an answer that Jesus occasionally gave more than once, in fact, to a sort of similar question. And it's love, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, with everything you have, and then love your neighbour as yourself. It's a great answer. God's kingdom is a community founded on and identified by love. Love of God and love of neighbour. It's a community of love. The citizenship papers are stamped love. Love is our national anthem. That's us, says the lawyer. We're those who love God and love our neighbours. But there's a further question. There's one more question he wants to ask. And he says to Jesus, Okay, but who is my neighbour? He's asking, who am I obliged to love? Which is a way of saying, who belongs with me in the people of God? Who belongs in this, in this people, in this team, in this community? What answer do you think he'd like? Well, I think he'd say, look, God is the God of Israel and my neighbours are my Jewish neighbours who have the same customs and habits and expectations as I do. What answer would you like Jesus to give? Who is my neighbour? I think I'd like the list of neighbours to be people who are, well, certainly convenient would help, limited in number, and and certainly grateful for any help I can give them, than my my preference for neighbours. But Jesus doesn't give us an answer. He tells us a story. And it's a very simple story about a man, don't know his name, and he's he's on a trip. He's travelling a dangerous road down from Jerusalem, down to Jericho, through a road that people knew in those days as the Bloody Pass. And uh, as its name, as its name suggested, it was a very dangerous, curvy, windy road full of bandits and robbers and thieves. 
And yet this was the road used by the Jews to go to and from Jerusalem precisely because they wanted to avoid their enemies, the Samaritans. They didn't want to go through the land of the Samaritans. Both the Jews and the Samaritans claimed to be the true heirs of Abraham and of the land and of the true promise and worship of, of the Lord God. And the Jews did not want to go there. They'd prefer to go down a road called the Bloody Pass. Unexpectedly, perhaps for the man, but predictably, you might say, robbers jumped on our fellow and took what he had and left him lying bloody and beaten for dead. And as he lies there, bleeding and naked, well, you know the story, two travellers come past. First a priest and then a Levite, a temple official. And you can imagine what went through their heads because you've thought similar thoughts, just as I have. If he's dead, well, there's nothing we can do anyway. If he's drunk, that'll just be problematic. Look, if I touch him and he's dead, then I'll be ritually unclean for my work at the temple. I'll have to take all sorts of baths. I'll be unable to do it for several days. Look, I've got a deadline to meet. I've got people to meet. And helping this guy is going to divert me from my real purpose. What if this is a trick? What if it's a trick and he's pretending to be dead or or beaten up and I stop to help him and then, lo and behold, the the robbers are going to spring on me. It's just not safe to stop. And the two men walk by on the other side. But a third man walks up, a Samaritan. Now, let's not forget that this is the group that rejected even Jesus, not just a few chapters before this. This is the enemy. Jesus might as well have said, an enemy walked up. One of the enemy. And Jesus says, when he saw the man, he was not filled with fear for himself, but he was filled with pity for the man. He uses that word pity. He was moved when he saw the man. He put aside his own fear. He was a long way from his own home, don't forget, and at great cost and inconvenience to himself, he tended to the needs of the stricken man, way beyond the call, taking him to an inn, offering to pay for his board and upkeep and tending his wounds. So then, says Jesus, which one was the neighbour? Remember that the original question was, who is my neighbour? But Jesus didn't answer that by telling a story about a Jewish guy helping a Samaritan. It's the other way around here, isn't it? The enemy Samaritan is the neighbour to the Jew. We do need indeed to be like the Samaritan. I think that's what Jesus wants us to see. But we also might find ourselves lying half dead on the road. And we will need to recognise the one we hate as our neighbour, to be loved by our enemy as well as to love them. And that reveals to us the secret of the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story, we learn so little about him, don't we? He's a bit of a mysterious figure. We don't really know what motivated him to do what he did other than that he was filled with a with a pity that's really quite unusual. It's not the way we humans normally operate. It's outstanding, isn't it? But there was one who was filled with pity for the plight of his enemies. One who at great cost to himself, 
stopped to show mercy to us in our time of desperate need. There was one who not only taught us to love our enemies, but who lived it. As Paul, the apostle, says in Romans chapter 5, he says, While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. It's Jesus who is ultimately the good Samaritan, our good Samaritan. He calls us to show a love that he himself shows for us. And he shows us that the God of Israel is not the God of only Israel, but is the God of grace for the whole world. In fact, that's what the Old Testament had said all along, way back, right back to Abraham. The message of God's blessing, his grace, the good news, was to be good news for all the world, disregarding borders, including kingdoms from all over the world, all nations. So the message is not just to be like the Good Samaritan, but that we will be like the stricken man in the story. Who is your neighbour? Jesus says, I am a neighbour to you. And that means we can't dodge the challenge of the story. Last week we heard how blessed the disciples were to know God himself, that God had, had revealed to them something that prophets and kings had longed to look into. But receiving that blessing doesn't mean that we become an enclave. It doesn't mean that we circle the wagons. We don't become an exclusive us. Actually, quite the opposite. As I've said, St Mark's really ought to be the least exclusive club in the whole of the eastern suburbs. The theologian Bishop Tom Wright puts it this way, what is at stake then and now is the question of whether we will use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security and purity, belonging in other words, or whether we will see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to God's kingdom, you are called to be an excellent neighbour, not just to the people who are already inside, but to anyone in need. Let me be frank. We cannot rest secure in our smug little sets our cul-de-sacs while our neighbours lie half dead by the side of the road. We can't have understood the gospel if we're happy with that. We cannot rejoice in the kindness of God who is the good Samaritan for us, who Samaritans us, while not showing that kindness to the world. In fact, we should be inspired by the story of the Samaritan, to the kind of risk and cost that, that he took to tend to the needs of the wounded world. The night before he was killed, Martin Luther King said, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness, commenting on just this story. He saw a dangerous unselfishness. Wherever the message of Jesus is gone in the world, this story has inspired Christians to be dangerously unselfish neighbours. At our best, when we've heard it well, we've opened hospitals and soup kitchens, orphanages, schools and missions. 
We've clothed the naked. We've fed the hungry. We've cared for outcasts. We've advocated for social change on the basis of compassion. We've fought against racism and for the rights of women and children. We've done the heavy lifting in social welfare in this country and around the globe. But let's not be self-congratulatory here. We've made terrible mistakes too. The message is, wherever authentic Christianity is found, there's been the work of the Good Samaritan in evidence. And that's the challenge for us here. Is the work of the Good Samaritan in evidence? Is our knowledge of God's love for us producing in us that kind of love for the world? If we're honest, we look around at us, at St. Mark's, what do we see in ourselves? Oh, there's some evidence of some good things. But couldn't we do so much more? We have the people with the energy and the vision and the resources and the access to make a significant difference. So what's stopping us? Why? If we know the love and the mercy of the first Good Samaritan, would we not do much more than we do to be remarkable neighbours in our part of the world and far beyond it? What do I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to belong to God's people? Become a follower of the Good Samaritan who loved you in your need and find your neighbour, even in your enemy. Just as while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus said to the man, go and do likewise, which meant nothing more then follow me. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.